And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside Horror Show. We are in Maine. The great state of Maine. Yes. And I just watched the first episode of Lock and Key earlier on Netflix, which I believe is probably in Maine since it's... Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. You know it was a comic book, right? And that it yeah. was written by Joe Hill, I believe his name is. He's... um. Stephen King's son. So that's why I figured it was probably Maine. Well, it did look, the town looks a lot like Maine, which is interesting and really could be anywhere in New England. Yeah, they were like, they're like in town and I was suddenly like, it's Maine. It has to be Maine. (laughs) Well, it's interesting too because the other Joe Hill book that's pretty famous slash TV show is Nosferatu. Nosferatu, And that's also in Massachusetts. Okay. I think he just likes the coastal Massachusetts area. Like he must. like, screw you, dad. I'm not doing all mine in Maine. Mine's in Massachusetts. Another M name in New England. Another place where people have funny accents and don't use R's. (laughs) They don't use R's in Maine? Uh, Not really. I've never heard a Maine accent. Okay. Remember, remember Murder, She Wrote? Yes. That was set in Cabot Cove, Maine. Cabot Cove. Okay. Not, not Jessica Fletcher's accent, but, um. Tom Bosley's character, the okay, sheriff, yeah. he had a main accent. He dropped a lot of the R's. Oh, okay. So I didn't know it was non-rhotic. Yeah. Huh. Look at you knowing a fancy word for it. I'm like, there's no R's. Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm a very big fan of different accents. So that's why I kind of like know words for things. Okay. I... That was very eloquently put. Wow, thanks. I'm like, you know a lot of words for things. <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> well, now that we are recording, I can tell you about certain things. One, um, I started learning German now. German? Yes. And what have you learned so far? Uh, Not a whole lot. Um, (laughs) But it's actually, I was like, oh, this is easy. Like when I first started, I'm like, this is like the most naturally that a language is coming to me. And then it got into all the different forms of the word the. They have more than any other language that I've learned. How many have you learned so far? How many languages? How many How many? German words for the word the? Uh, There's three that I know of. Mm. And then it's weird because when it changes to a plural, it's always D. (laughs) Because there is, um, oh God, don't go Swedish. I almost said dom, which is they in (laughs) Swedish. Um, Anyway, so there is der, which is masculine, D, which is feminine, and das, which is neutral. Okay. Or neuter, I guess is the right word. Um, but it's weird then because for like a boy, it's still der, the masculine mm-hmm. for a girl, uh, which the word for girl is Mitchin, mm-hmm. Mitchin Amick. That's mm-hmm. her name. She's name is girl Amick. Um, <laughs> anyway, but it's like, um, it changes over instead of D for girl, it turns into, um, Das. Das girl. Which is weird. So it's das Mädchen. <laughs> but I'm like, why? And then if it's plural, everything is D. It's like, okay, at least have a rule that you stick with. No, never. So I know I, we have like one or two German listeners. So if you're up to it, please email us and tell me like, why? Because <laughs> I'm so confused and I want to learn German. I feel like that's going to be the same thing when like someone's learning English and like there's just silent letters everywhere. Oh yeah, that is like annoying. the word like night and light. And they're like, why is there an H and a G? It's like shh, shh, don't it's worry probably about a holdover it. from like um Middle English. Middle English or possibly like uh Gaelic. I know I know Gaelic loves to throw in like G's that don't get pronounced and stuff like that. I know that night and light, like that format formation with the style with the the G H T. Yeah, that's how you spell it. Okay. 
dyslexic moment. Sorry. <laughs> that does come from Middle English. Um, I remember. The I dyslexia comes from Middle English? Yes. Always. Always. No, it comes from Middle English, the, the word phrase night. And uh, that's one of the changeover pronunciation points for like middle old English, middle English and modern English or early okay. modern. I remember I took a Chaucer class where like our... Oh God, we had to read him. It was like the head of the English department too. And like no one wanted to take our Chaucer class, but I skipped the year. Um, they had the seminar, the Shakespeare seminar, which you needed to graduate. Okay. So she said, why don't you take my Chaucer survey instead? And then it's like, okay, I could have read things in Shakespearean English, which is at least intelligible Yeah. versus like middle old slash old English. And it's, it's like, oh, it's impossible. She's like, you can buy these tapes and they'll teach you how to how to say the the, the words correctly to the Canterbury Tales. I'm like, awesome. The connect, the connect, the connect. <laughs> I'm like, oh. We read um, selected stories from the Canterbury Tales because it's way too long to read all mm-hmm. of it in one school mm-hmm. year. But we read some of it in you know modern English and then the other in Middle English. And whoa, the difference is insane. I love it. It's like, here's the one side of the page. And it's like the old English. And like the other side is like, and then the actual English you could understand. Yeah. Like fun stuff, fun stuff. Um, What else did I want to tell you? Oh, my giant experience today. Okay. So I went to giant, right? To get just a few groceries. I literally bought 12 items. That's it. But I was buying stuff that was on like the... Um, on sale, like on their bonus card mm-hmm. thing. And when I got up to the register, they're like, do you have your bonus card? I'm like, no, can I just use the store card? And they're like, we don't do that anymore. Later on, I found out they do. The what? cashier was just lazy. But um, yeah, so they're like, we don't do that anymore. I'm like, well, fine. Can you look it up by number? And I tried like three different numbers that I thought it was under. Mm-hmm. None of them worked. So then I was like, fine, let's just go without it. I don't want to hold up the line. $60 for 12 items then when i went back and went to customer service i was like hey didn't have the gift the bonus card with me you know i it turned out to be like 30 some dollars nice i'm savings. glad you went back to customer service yeah because i was pissed once so i was like 60 bucks for 12 items i can't just let this slide yeah literally double your price i am not made of money <laughs> that was quite the digression that was where are we going maine we're maine. in maine you said you had a fun we're in fact the land of confusion right now because we confusion. don't know what's going on <laughs> Yeah, I do have fun facts about Maine. Oh, yeah? Uh, Let me pull it up. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, So, apparently, uh, parole is abolished in Maine. What? Yeah, there's no parole in Maine. So, you, well, you serve your time, you get out. Yeah. I wonder what happens. Like, can you get, like, a shortened sentence then? I don't know. Because you know how sometimes you get sentenced to, say, five years. Mm -hmm. But if you serve, like... Two and a half, three years with good, like behavior, good behavior. Yeah. They'll be like, all right, you're on probation for the remainder of your sentence. I don't know. Mainers, let us know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I found that out from the first story that I was initially going to do that led to nothing. My other fun fact for Maine is home of Stephen King, <laughs> which we already talked about a little bit, but you know. Derry isn't a real place, gang. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so I found a couple of fun facts as well. Maine is the only state that shares its border with only one other U.S. state. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's just New Hampshire. Yeah. And then everything else is Canadian. That is very true. Yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah, I never even thought about it. I know. I was like, that's a that's a fun fact, if there ever was one. Well, there are two states that don't share their border with any other U.S. state. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, this is kind of interesting. 
in Maine, there is uh, there's a there's a peak in Maine that's named after a car, or vice versa, sort of. Okay. There's a Cadillac Mountain, which was named after an explorer, Antoine Lemaitre de la Mothe. Wait, is it a Cadillac or a mountain? Sur de la Cadillac. It's okay. a mountain. And then the famous car company that produces Cadillac is also named after the same French explorer. So you have the mountain that's named Cadillac independently of the car company. Huh. Okay. I, I didn't guess know it's that. not really that interesting, though. I thought it was a fun fact. Oh, this is good. 90% of the country's lobster supply comes from Maine. I'm not surprised. Yeah. 40 million pounds of lobster are caught off the coast of Maine, accounting for nearly 90%. Well, I was also watching Haven again. Uh, recently uh, yeah that's a good show it's a fun show yeah i put it on as like background noise for when i, I mean, was doing it started stuff. off real strong it did it started off very strong uh my friend's um take on it even though he's the one that turned me on to it and he does like the show said it was uh, like pretty much marvel's way of trying out new powers for superheroes that's a good that's a good one i always thought it was like marvel meets stephen king it is a little bit yeah because they don't like ever get into like any of the science or magic behind they're just like we're going to call it The Troubles. I'm like, that's the, the most trouble, yeah. Stephen King thing I've ever heard. That is very Stephen King. Well, the thing that reminded me of it is when you said about the lobsters, because there's a part where it's like, oh, let's get some lobster. And it's like, oh, no, I don't really like lobster. Well, you know what's interesting? If you buy a main lobster, you're pretty much always guaranteed to get a decent sized lobster. Okay. Because they have certain, there's a tool that the lobster fishermen take out on their boats, and it actually measures the length of the, like, the, the I guess, the body shell. I don't really know parts of a lobster. I have no idea either. But if it's not big enough, they have to throw it back. And then oh. sometimes if it's too big, they'll throw it back too because it could be a breeder, like a breeding lobster. Yeah. So like that's really cool. Maine cares a lot about its lobster conservation. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, Maine's also the largest producer of blueberries. Blueberries. That right? I didn't know. That seems so weird, but I guess it makes sense. Like I know in New England, there's a lot of like naturally occurring blueberry brambles and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't. When I think of Maine desserts, I think of like whoopie pie. I don't really think of like blueberry cobbler, but is whoopie pie a Maine thing? It is. It's a dispute. I had heard that it was like an Amish thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of one of those weird desserts that has like a double origin story, and some people say it's a Pennsylvania Dutch slash Amish dessert. Other people say that it originated in Maine. Okay. I just know they're delicious. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The state of Maine, it's a great place. Have you ever been there? I have not been there. I've always wanted to go, though. I think you you would really enjoy Maine, particularly in the summertime. It's really beautiful in the spring and summer. I've been there. In, oh, I'm sure. I've been there in February. Um, yeah, I'm not going there in February. It was surprisingly, like, mild. It was, only, it was like, 25, 30 degrees most of the time. No snow. Mild for you. I don't know about me. But... <laughs> mild for Maine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I was freezing my butt off, but all the people I was, like chatting with like oh it's a lovely day you're just like it's below freezing it's wonderful out it's like i can't feel my hands anymore uh but yeah portland's a really cool city okay very very cool city anyway all right you have a true crime story i do have a true crime story my story for this week takes place in south portland maine portland like the name suggests it is below portland but it is not part of portland it is its own thing it is the fourth largest city in the state and is situated in Cumberland County. It's situated on the Portland Harbor, and from there you can see Casco Island. Its main industry is fishing, which is why, I mean, it's what I imagine most of Maine to be. Fishing I always and just blueberries? Think of fish. Yeah, apparently blueberries now, too. <laughs> like I said, the New Hampshire, with the New Hampshire, I think of trees. With Maine, I just think of fish. Fair enough. 
There's plenty to do in South Portland other than fishing, though, as you'll find several parks, one of which is called Mill Creek Park and is located downtown. It has a rose garden and beautiful views all around. If parks aren't your thing, but you still want to be outdoorsy, you can visit the Greenbelt Walkway, which is a three-mile trail leading through many neighborhoods in town and has some nice views of the harbor. There's also a few, uh, there's like a few beaches there, but there's a free beach called Willard Beach, and it's the last free one in the area. I guess they just decided to do what Jersey does and make you pay to get on the beach. Yeah, a lot of places do that because it helps conserve the beach when they have to like rebuild the dunes or clean it up and stuff that's true i suppose we could keep talking about all these lovely things this town has to offer but you want blood and gore so here's the story of the disappearance of pearl smith okay let me tell you a little bit about our victim pearl smith she worked at a fish packing plant shipping out fish she liked to buy lottery tickets she was 47 divorced five times And certainly very unlucky in love, which will only get worse, but I'll get into that later. Five times. Five times. Wow. Once was enough for me. I'm not doing it again. She used to go to the local VFW just about every day after work for a drink. It was just her routine. Uh, One day at the bar, she meets a man by the name of William or Bill Bruns. He's a bit older than she is. He's like in his early 60s. But she, he, he seems nice enough to her. Pearl found herself relating to him because he also worked with seafood as a truck driver delivering fish for distribution, and he was just coming out of his third marriage. They were married in 1986 and seemed to be doing well. They would even have lunch together every day at Becky's Diner, which was by the docks. Uh, well, as I'm pretty sure you all know, whenever I talk about a beautiful love story for the ages on this podcast, it's usually anything but. <laughs> Pearl was reported missing in August of 1991 by her daughter Elaine when she didn't show up for a family gathering, which was highly unlike her. So that's when Detective Linda Barker was assigned to the case. And I'm so happy that we finally have a lady detective for once. Right up. Thank you, Maine, in the 1990s. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, she goes to search the house with Elaine and noticed that nothing was missing and her car, which she was very attached to, was still in the garage. Uh, The only thing to suggest that she had even gone anywhere was that her purse was gone. Anyone that knew Pearl knew that there was no way she'd leave without that car. It was this Cadillac that she had that she loved. Uh, It was her baby and even had vanity plates that said Pearl B. That's awesome. Yeah, she's that lady. (laughs) This led her daughter to believe that she had never even left the house that day. They also found a half-packed suitcase on the bed with blood on it. But I guess they didn't care about that because reasons, I don't know. You'll see what I'm getting at soon enough. Uh, One source, however, said the police didn't notice the high-velocity blood spatter until later. All right. If it's a high-velocity blood spatter, that makes sense because it's very, like, misty then, right? Yeah. But, I mean, from the picture that I saw, it looked pretty obvious. So, I don't know. They also said they found it right away in the Cold Case Files episode that I watched. Also along with blood on the bathroom sink. Okay. They decided to question Bill, who says they had had an argument right before she went missing and that he left to get Chinese food then. And by the time he got back, she had already disappeared. But he said he wasn't worried because she'd done this sort of thing before where she'd just up and leave for like about a week at a time without telling anyone. Without her car. Without her car, apparently. Okay. 
Here's the problem with all that, Bill. Let me just stop you right there. Her car is still in the garage. She never leaves without it. And everything she owns is still in the damn house. Plus, there's a fucking suitcase on the bed with blood on it. You want to run that by me again? Bill, 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 I know you lying. Mm Mm-hmm. At this point, Elaine was told by police, however, that the blood meant nothing if there wasn't a body at the end of it. So Detective Barker said uh, that she didn't agree with all of this and wanted to do more, but her hands were completely tied. With her car still being there, the police decide to check with taxi services, buses, and the airport, but there was no record of her using any of those. So I guess they went back to Bill at this point and said, look, Bill, this seems fishy. Her car is still here and she didn't use public transportation or fly anywhere. What's up? Bill tells them, oh, she probably left me for another man. To make this weirder, the police chief was like, you know, you're right. That's probably what happened. (laughs) Women are such wanton creatures. Wow. Basically, even though that was my joke way of saying it, it's not completely out of scope of what was actually said. The police did believe him and thought that she wasn't missing at all. And she was just a no good drunk and a cheater. Wow. That's like makes me furious a little bit. Yeah. Well, the police chief apparently knew Bill Bruns and told a reporter at one point that Pearl was an alcoholic who had probably run off with one of her ex-husbands. And when the reporter asked if it could be, you know, Bill, you know, doing something to her, the police chief said since he'd known him for 20 years that that was not even possible. Uh, Elaine ended up contacting the news to tell them about how the police were handling the case. And the reporter whom she spoke with didn't know about the blood they had left, uh, the blood they had found. Okay. At all. Um, Although sometimes police do withhold information from the press. This just seems like a cover up to me. Yeah, it's a little sketchy. It's majorly sketchy. The reporter called a friend at the attorney general's office, and he was very angry about the whole situation. So the state police came in to help as well after this then. That's good. So like basically, he was like, this is ridiculous. We need to get some objective police in here. Correct. Yeah, we're going to get someone that's actually going to do their jobs and not you know, deal with like, you're my friend, so I'm just going to cover for you. <laughs> During this time... The police found out a few things, such as Pearl had been going to her favorite bar a lot more frequently lately, and that there were problems in the marriage, which, you know, pretty much no brainer, it seems like. Yeah. They were also getting a lot of tips coming in on what may have happened to her. One of her friends had even told police that he thought he saw Pearl walking alone on the docks at night. None of these leads panned out, though. Weird. Yeah. The case had started to go cold until a hiker all the way in New Hampshire on the Appalachian Trail found Pearl's purse. And the weird part is that it was found near where the body of another murder victim had been found and that that one is still unsolved. Was it like recently they found the body? It was like a year. Oh, okay. year or two. It's a convenient dumping ground part portion of yeah, the Appalachian Trail, maybe. Exactly. Um, it could be total coincidence. It probably is. Um, because a lot of people actually do get murdered on the Appalachian Trail. I believe it. It's very dangerous. Uh, her ID, some jewelry, and her wallet were all in the purse, and the wallet had blood on it as well. Ugh. Although this still didn't really turn anything else up, uh, even after a thorough search of the area, they at least began treating the case as a possible homicide. Finally! 
This made Detective Barker go back to the home and look over things again. She noticed Bill had put in new carpeting. Now, this could have meant nothing, but when Barker asked him about it, Bill assured her it was the same carpet as before. Then uh, she says that he must have at least had it cleaned. And he then tells her, oh, no, I just sprinkled some of that, you know, powdery carpet cleaner stuff on it and vacuumed. Really, Bill? If that's all he did, then I want to know the name of the product because that carpet was immaculate. (laughs) Turns out that the neighbors saw him lugging a heavy-duty carpet shampooer into the house, so he was obviously lying. Not surprising. Ugh, Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. After this, um, Elaine started to get very suspicious about her stepfather and tried talking to him, but he had nothing to say about Pearl and just sort of stared at her the whole time. When she's like, look, Bill, come on. What happened you to mom? You know what happened to mom. Yeah. And he's just like, eh, nothing, I don't know. I guess the police chief could only do so much for his friend as they ended up bringing cadaver dogs into the house at this point to check it out. And the dog went straight to the basement as soon as it got in the house. Oh, my God. So right for the scent. He lay down right near the entrance to the crawl space in the basement. That's a little bit Gacy-esque. <laughs> yeah. Just a smidge. Uh, so, yeah, right there in the, the entrance to the crawl space, which is what these dogs do when they found a body. They lay down. If you're wondering how they train them to do this, they actually use a chemical in a bottle called Pseudocorpse. And it comes in three delightful scents. You can choose from such as Recently Dead, Decomposing, and Drowned Victim. If you'd like to purchase these scents for your own home, please visit our merch store. Just kidding. We don't have one of those, (laughs) and you can't really buy those for public consumption. But those are really the names of the scents, and I bet they all still smell better than the Gwyneth Paltrow candle. So... (laughs) (laughs) for those of you that don't know about the gwyneth paltrow candle because i'm not sure if we actually talked about it on the podcast no we've talked about it so much (laughs) but we've talked about it a lot yeah it's called this smells like my vagina i don't even want to know what gwyneth paltrow's vagina smells like probably money and you know jasmine yeah so this basement was just like a dirt floor basement and it looked really creepy and murdery on forensic files. <laughs> <laughs> they begin to excavate the basement floor, hoping to find Pearl's body and give her family some closure. But guess what? They didn't find a body anywhere. I guess the dogs had to go back to school after that. I don't know. That's weird. But it, there was no body. That's weird for the dogs to give a false positive like that. Yeah. Unless, like, maybe the body was kept there for a while. But yeah, they just didn't find anything. Creepy. So they begin to really suspect Bill after this, but figured Bill might have dumped her body at sea or somewhere along the highway during one of his driving routes from Maine to Montreal. Mm -hmm. As far as thinking that her body was dumped at sea, remember that he transports fish and knows a lot of the local fishermen. So he could have gotten one of them to like help dispose of the body on like the ships. That's a good point. All this time, Bill is still denying any involvement and in fact maintains that Pearl ran off with one of her ex-husbands. I know if I was going to leave my spouse, I certainly wouldn't do it for one of my exes. They're exes for a reason. (laughs) Don't make the same mistake twice. Well, plus, like, at this point, like, Bill and Pearl have been married for, what, like, five or six years, right? Yeah, because this is 91, 92? Yeah, and they got married in 85? 86. 86. Yeah, so that's kind of weird to be like, hey, ex, that we broke up with 10 years ago. Yeah, or more, because it could be the one from the first marriage. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) According to our friend, in eerie eerie similarity 
to Hella Crafts. She told the police that Pearl had told her, if anything should ever happen to me, you tell them that Bill did it. She told them this much later, and she had forgotten Pearl mentioned it to her. It's interesting, but uh, that doesn't really seem like the type of thing you'd forget about. Your friend telling you, if anything happens to me, my husband killed me. I wouldn't forget that. Fair. But if it's one of her drinking buddies? Oh, that's true. Maybe. Never know. You know, when you're in the shower and you're like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So after this, the police got another warrant to search the house. And this time they did what they probably should have done from the beginning. And they used luminol to look for blood. Okay. I don't know why they haven't done this before this, but they decided to use luminol finally. (laughs) Well, there was blood just fucking everywhere in this house. Blood everywhere. It was on the walls. It was on the floor, on the carpet that Bill had tried to clean, but blood just stays there as we've learned many, many times before. Uh, there was also bloody footprints leading to the bathroom and blood on the linoleum on the st- and on the steps down to the basement as if the body had been dragged. And in the crawl space where the dog had mm-hmm. lain, there was a body-shaped blood stain that matched the height of Pearl. What? So maybe those dogs weren't wrong after all. They better get a gold star now. They deserve a milk bone. Yeah. Or maybe some uh, some bacon strips. Bacon strips. It's bacon. <laughs> So Bill was, of course, questioned, but still claimed to be innocent, yet refused to do a lie detector test. So unfortunately, they still didn't find a body, which means that everything was still circumstantial and they couldn't really arrest Bill yet. The case goes cold for nine months until police decide to use a new form of forensic technology. At this point, it had been 11 months since she had gone missing. That's almost a full year for her family and friends, and of course her dear, sweet, innocent husband, not to know what happened to her. (laughs) Even though they checked the basement three times and hadn't found a body, they knew at this point that she had to be down there. So they decided to use something called GPR, or Ground Penetrating Radar. Oh, I've heard about that. They use that in archaeology and stuff to find like the shape of buildings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that at dig sites. Yeah. Uh, Think of it as a larger version of a metal detector. So basically, it's like a much cooler version of the thing you see people at the beach using. (laughs) Uh, It's mainly used to find large metal objects. So this is going to be a little different Mm -hmm. for this technology. It uses radio waves to find things. Uh, So they didn't know if it would work, but they still had to try. They were able to find a lot of rust-colored oxidized sand. But in a large portion where they searched, they found nothing. Like it was like a blank spot on their, on the radar. Huh. Almost like there was something there that wasn't coming up on the screen. Okay. They were able to find a lot of rust-colored oxidized sand, but in a large portion of where they searched, they found absolutely nothing. Almost like there was something there on their radar that was blocking anything that was underneath. So they decided to dig in that area. He was coming home uh, from work, he being Bill, yeah, at that point. And uh, so they were still digging. He was having his dinner of uh, spaghetti (laughs) upstairs, and they were digging in the basement. So they dig, and they find a plastic bag, which turned out to be wrapped around the head of a dead body. Once they had the area completely excavated, they find that it is, in fact, a decomposed human body wrapped in two large trash bags and taped up. The stench is overwhelming now that you could smell it throughout the whole house and probably outside as well. 
The body had a watch on its wrist that was engraved on the face with Pearl's name. Ugh. They were also it's definitely Pearl. Yeah. Okay. They're also able to identify that it was Pearl because of her pink shoelaces, which she was reportedly wearing the last time she was seen. Uh, in what is probably the best comical retelling of how Bill was subsequently arrested, Bill is sitting at the table eating his spaghetti like nothing is happening and like the smell of rotting flesh isn't permeating the air when they tell him that he is coming with them. He is all innocence and says, why? They tell him he's under arrest and he asks what for. And, I, you know, as if it isn't freaking obvious at this point, they say murder. And he says, Murder. That's a pretty strong word. (laughs) Then the police officer says to him, Bill, that's a pretty strong smell. (laughs) Yeah. That that is fantastic. The best exchange ever. (laughs) Another source even said that when the police officer came up, he said, you'll never guess what we found in the basement. He's like, what? Pearl. Bill replied, how'd she get down there? Bill, I think the jig is up. Like there's some like there's something to be said for playing dumb, but like but Bill. That's, yeah, like Come on, Bill. Really? <laughs> Apparently he even asked if he could finish his dinner before they took him to jail, too. Gross. Yeah. Super gross. I wouldn't be able to eat with that smell. I, I personally have never smelled a dead body. Like a dead human body. I've smelled like dead animals, things yeah. like that. They stink. They do stink. And one of my friends has like, you know, smelled a dead body before. And her reaction to it was that it is unlike anything you've ever smelled before yeah. and it like sticks with you. It's very, it's just disgusting. It's gross. So the x-ray results showed three fractures to the side of Pearl's face, but the skin was not cut. So they figure that she was just beaten to death. Okay. They think that they were arguing about money and the fight turned physical. They also think Bill took Pearl's purse and drove about 200 miles to New Hampshire to dump the purse out there, deflecting suspicion away from himself and the crime scene. He pled guilty after receiving a deal, taking life in prison or death off the table, and dropping the charge to manslaughter. And he was sentenced to 15 years in prison, which I think is nowhere near long enough for him. But he's like in his 60s, right? Yeah. So that's effectively a life life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I go easy on crimes with passion because literally anyone could commit them. You just get mad and you snap and usually something has been building for a while and things go too far. And usually the person who committed the murder feels remorse. This was certainly not the case for Bill. He seemed not to care at all, actively tried to cover up everything and was just an all around douche nozzle. Mm. So, you know, he deserved more. In a really sad turn of events, They later found that Pearl had terminal cancer and would have died within six months anyway. Wow. Yeah. While that's incredibly sad, Elaine, her daughter, kind of said something funny about it. Okay. She said that it was like her mother getting the last laugh because if he would have just been patient and waited another six months, he would have been rid of her anyway and wouldn't be in jail. (laughs) She's not wrong. I mean, good for her for having, you know, some, you know, levity around this tragedy, like losing her mom. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my story. Uh, fucking Bill. Bill, I know. Ugh. Bill, Bill is another Kim, which is like, really, Bill? Come on. Uh, Bill, 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 Bill. Yeah, it was interesting. I like the whole 
difficulty finding her body in like a like a earthen earthen basement like earth yeah. dirt floor basement that's a very intriguing and plus it's cool and they use new technology and things oh, like really that is. like yeah that's you can do that now my sources for this week were wikipedia swordandscale.com catchingkillers.blogspot.com and that is catching with a k i guess they wanted to mortal combat this nice um digitalcommons.portlandlibrary.com earthdoc.org inverse.com for the information on the cadaver dogs archive.bangerdailynews.com an episode of forensic files called missing pearl and an episode of cold case files not to be confused with cold case <laughs> and that beautiful hair uh called the secret in the cellar well thanks for sharing that story eden thank you i actually do have a shout out for the daily motion which is where i watched the cold case files video now i know they aren't listening but i have a bone to pick with them first of all i'd like to say thank you for making a lot of episodes of certain shows that I need for research available that I can't find anywhere else. But you have way too many commercials to make them useful, and your videos always seem to have weird problems where they cut out part of the way through and loop back around, or the sound or video just ends up cutting out. So that's just some feedback for you, even though you're not listening. So thanks for your not time, I guess. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see if they respond. I, I guess. Maybe they'll email us. Maybe they're fans. So I guess it brings us to uh, Pit Stop, yeah? Yeah. All right. We'll take a quickie, quick break. And then uh, when we come back, I will regale you with my wonderful main paranormal stories. Can't wait to hear it. And we're back. We're back. So I guess it's time for my paranormal story. I cannot wait. All right. So we talked a little bit about Maine and its lobsters. Yes. When I think of Maine, I think of lobsters. Wait, are there going to be lobster ghosts? Crustacean paranormal story. Whoa. Okay. That would be great. There aren't. I'm sorry. Oh. I was just thinking about it. Now I'm upset. Upset. <laughs> Very upset. So I think of Maine. I think of lobsters. I think of its rocky coastline. And I think of lighthouses. Yeah. Okay. Oh, haunted lighthouse. Yes. So today we'll make two stops along the Maine coast as we visit two of the most haunted of Maine's 65 historic lighthouses. Oh. Yeah. So now Maine has extremely rocky shoreline and pretty much up and down the coast of Maine, there's just these line of light stations. And a light station is like, you know, the tower of the lighthouse, usually some kind of power station, powerhouse, and then the lighthouse keeper's house. Okay. Uh, for the purposes of my story, when I say lighthouse, I just mean the structure that has the big beacon in it. Yes. Okay. So our first... Think Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. Oh, please, no. <laughs> I remember my mom was like, I like that Thomas Kincaid painting. I'm like, why? My aunt loved his stuff. And then she started watching those like wall, uh, Hallmark movies they started making oh, yeah. where it's like Thomas Kincaid's Christmas and wherever. Yeah. And then she was like, I don't like Thomas Kincaid anymore. He's too Christian. I forgot that I need to set the record straight about something. Oh. So I talked to my friend Jamela at work who listens to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jamela. And she was like, are you going to set the record straight? I do not like Tyler Perry. <laughs> so let it be known, world. Jamela does not like Tyler Perry. All right. Duly noted. Duly noted. Now you may start your story. All right. Our first stop today is going to be Boone Island. 
Boone Island lies off Maine's southern coast near Cape Nettick. According to legend, the island was named Boone as in a gift from God by four survivors of the shipwreck of a boat called the Increase. Okay. The Increase was a coastal trading ship that shipwrecked on the island in 1682. Uh, Four men were stranded on the mostly barren, rocky island for a month, and they lived off fish and foraged for seagull eggs before they were rescued. They sell their rescue as a gift from God, hence the name Boone. All right. Interesting story. Uh, Boone Island itself is actually pretty small. It's only about 300 feet by 700 feet at low tide and is dominated by the Boone Island light. The current lighthouse rises 137 feet above sea level, making it the tallest lighthouse in New England. It's also one of several beacons that have been built on the island over the centuries. The first beacon was built on the island in the 18th century after another more notorious shipwreck on the island. In December of 1710, a small merchant vessel called the Nottingham Galley wrecked just off of Boone Island. The 14 people on board managed to make it to the island, but then they were stuck. Since they were only about six miles off the coast of York, Maine, they could see the smoke rising from houses along the shores, but they had no way to signal. It was wintertime. It was December. There wasn't really any sort of material on the island that they could use to burn fires to signal that they were trapped there. After a few days, they ended up running out of food, and a couple of the crew members died of exposure in the harsh winter conditions. These things never lead to hauntings. And that's when the cannibalism began. What? No. (laughs) Yep. So basically, after they ran out of the food stores that they managed to salvage from the Nottingham Galley, uh, and they had these two men who died of exposure... They essentially started cannibalizing them because they needed some form of substance. A couple of the other survivors were like, we can't deal with the whole people eating thing. We got to get the hell off this island. Yeah, that's a smart move. So they tried to salvage as much material as they could from the Nottingham Galley to create a raft. They were able to assemble raft. And as they pushed off the island, trying to make it to the coast, the raft overturned and the two men drowned. Okay, that's unfortunate. While they didn't survive, their bodies did, and they washed ashore. Oh, God, no. (laughs) They're okay. They washed ashore on the main coastline instead of back on the Boone Island. It was like, oh, free corpses. Here we go. We can eat like kings. (laughs) Cannibalistic kings. Uh, So their bodies did wash up on the main shoreline, and that's when authorities were like, "Uh uh-oh, we should probably send a ship out to investigate. And they did find the other remaining survivors on Boone Island, and they were rescued on January 11th. They'd spent about a month on Boone Island, a.k.a. the worst Christmas ever. Yeah, that would be a terrible Christmas. So this story about the Nottingham Galley shipwreck and the cannibalism turned out to be really big news back in England. So wait, going back to this this worst Christmas ever, Mm -hmm. I just imagine them sitting there like, we don't have any ham for Christmas, but we do have long pig. (laughs) It's a little chilly, but you know, (laughs) a little chilly, a little chewy. No, I'll stop. That's terrible. So this story of the Nottingham Galley gets back to England because the guys are rescued and the captain gives account, his account of what, ha- what happened. However, the first mate accuses the captain of lying in his account, and it creates this big news hubbub. So the first mate basically says the captain tried to turn the ship over to French privateers. Then, when that failed, the captain decided to run the ship aground. He did all of this so that he could collect the large insurance claim from wrecking the ship. Oh, great. Okay. Insurance fraud's fun. Yep. Yep. Especially when it kills people. 
and, you know, make some cannibals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either way, the authorities decided that, you know, we do need a beacon on this island. There's been too many shipwrecks, especially after this, after this notorious one. So they sailed out to the island and they built an unlit beacon tower so that local fishermen and trading vessels were aware of the island and the rocky coastline. You know what? This is a story that I actually looked at for a brief period because <laughs> I do remember reading about lighthouses and then suddenly cannibalism. <laughs> it's like that was that was like, that escalated very quickly. Like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, but then I, I was like, that looks like a good one. And then I scrolled down a little more and I was like, oh, this one sounds better. So then I decided to do that one instead. Ooh, I'm excited for for next week's show. Now, the lighthouse that they built after the Nottingham Galley incident eventually washed away in 1804. It was replaced by a stone tower, and that stone tower was upgraded to a full lighthouse in 1811, and this full lighthouse was operated by keepers on the island 24-7. Okay. By 1831, a larger and a taller lighthouse was built on Boone Island after the original stone tower fell into disrepair. This structure ended up becoming too badly damaged over the years by storms, and finally, in 1854, the current lighthouse was built. That's funny because I always think about like lighthouses being some of like, the most resilient buildings that there are because they need to be. They do, but it's, it's tough because they'll build them out of granite and even that gets worn away as it hits like these harsh winter storms. And like you have to think it's a nor'easter area of the country where just these massive blizzards will whip through. I guess you can't take that for granite. Hey. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> It's bad when I make myself go, oh. <laughs> now, aside from the wreck of the Nottingham Galley, I did find quite a few tragic stories associated with the Boone Island Lighthouse. During the 19th century, while they were upgrading the lighthouse, several workers died when their boat capsized as they attempted to head back from the island to the mainland. Their bodies washed ashore on Boone Island and were quickly buried by their compatriots under just piles of rock because it's a very rocky island. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of soil. Over the years, the rock piles washed away to sea, and eventually the workers' bones were discovered and then reburied in York. However, there have been the sighting of many ghostly apparitions in the spot where the bones were found, and these ghosts seem to be staring at the coastline looking for a way home. Okay. Not at all creepy. Only vaguely creepy. However, the most frequently sighted ghost on Boone Island is the Lady. Ooh. Now, she's often described as being shrouded in white, so it kind of ties into the lady in, in white, white yeah. myth. Uh, according to legend, in the 1840s, a young lighthouse keeper married and brought his new wife with him to Boone Island. The couple maintained the beacon happily together for a while, but then a raging nor'easter struck the coast. During the storm, the beacon's light went out. The young lighthouse keeper tied a rope around his waist and ventured into the whipping wind and freezing rain to relight the beacon. Unfortunately, As he struggled to relight the beacon, he slipped and fell into the sea, drowning. Oh, shit. Well, he tried. He did try. His wife went looking for him when he didn't return and found his body floating in the water, the rope still tied around his waist. She somehow managed to pull him back in and then climb the 164 stairs to the top of the lighthouse and relight the beacon. Damn. The young woman continued to maintain the light for the next five days during the storm before she eventually ran out of fuel. As the storm passed and the beacon went dark... Local fishermen became worried and sailed out to Boone Island to investigate. What the fishermen found on Boone Island really varies depending upon the source. A few say they found the lighthouse keeper's young wife wandering along the rocks, driven mad by grief and exhaustion. Other sources said they found her by the darkened beacon light inside the freezing lighthouse. 
Her husband's body lay nearby, and she sat there silently holding his hand. Pretty sad. That's, tragic. Yeah, really unfortunate. Either way, all the sources agreed on one thing, that she fell ill and died shortly afterwards. Later, lighthouse keepers and their families reported hearing a woman crying coming from the island. They say that on dark nights, they'll hear a knock on the door of the lighthouse keeper's residence. Okay. When they open the door, they see a ghostly woman who then floats towards the beacon tower. Oh, God. I was hoping it wasn't here and knock on the door and they come there and it's like, is Tamara home? <laughs> God. No, she's not home. <laughs> you have the wrong house. Uh, then there are several keepers who have reported stories that when they've been unable to get back to Boone Island to light the beacon, all of a sudden it'll illuminate on its own. It's almost like the young woman's ghost is still watching over the beacon to make sure that it stays lit. Okay. Well, I mean, then it's a the helpful ghost. Yeah, she's very helpful. And like that was the interesting thing is that I was like, uh-oh, lady in white. Oh. Yeah. But no, apparently. Someone's going to die. Yeah, apparently she's like, nope, I just want to make sure this never happens again. That's good. But it still does go along with like the lady in white type thing, even though it's like she didn't die, but it was like the opposite, like her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's not quite the same thing because normally it deals with like an unfaithful lover and a lot of times dead kids and suicide. But I mean, it sort of still goes a little bit with it, at least. Yeah, I guess. I mean, or just like white's like the ghostly color. It's in this season. That's true. Yeah. It's all the rage for spirits. <laughs> In 1978, a massive blizzard struck the coast and destroyed most of the buildings on Boone Island and badly damaged the Beacon Tower, forcing the two keepers on duty to take refuge in the tower. They were eventually evacuated by helicopter the next day. After that, the lighthouse was repaired and fully automated after that. Today, it runs on solar power and doesn't require a keeper. Oh, that's nice. You can still go out and visit Boone Island, actually, which is kind of cool, but you do need permission. They okay. do a lot of um, cruises around the lighthouses so you can observe them. So it's not like that one island, I forget where it is, but it had like a mental hospital on it. And it's like you're like forbidden to ever go there and you will be arrested because <gasps> oh. people die a lot there. I know what you're talking about. It, it's like it's like a plague island. Like, yeah, I'm a plague sorry. island in the Hudson or something, right? It's like a we- I don't. I think it's in another country. I don't think it's oh, here. I don't know. But I know there's like weird islands in the Hudson, like near New York, where it's like they're just... Like there used to be sanitariums there, yeah. things like that. I and actually think this was like a like a plague unit, like that was there, like a tuberculosis, leper colony, something like that. And like it's supposed to be incredibly haunted and incredibly just dangerous. And you, there's no boats that go there. You can pay someone to take you there, but, but you then you like sneak onto it. Yeah, gotcha. No, you can do a little lighthouse cruise if you want to check out Boone Island. I would like to do that. That sounds pretty cool. So, are you ready to get back in the car for our next stop? Sure. So now we're going to head. Just a- drive quickly. <laughs> now we're going to head a little bit further north to our next stop, which is Seguin Island. Seguin Island is a 64-acre island in the Gulf of Maine, near the mouth of the Kennebec River. The first wooden lighthouse was built on the island in 1795, actually commissioned by George Washington himself. Ooh, and made out of the same material as his teeth. Mm-hmm. And the reason Washington wanted it there is it was supposed to help ships not only navigate the rocky coastline there, but also safely enter the Kennebec River, because it's a pretty major river in Maine. Okay. They replaced the original wooden structure with a stone tower in 1821. The current lighthouse on the island was erected in 1857 and is the second oldest lighthouse in Maine. Okay. Sounds nice. Now, the Beacon Tower itself is 63 feet tall. 
but it's located on the highest point of Seguin Island, which raises the actual height of the beacon light that you can see about 180 feet above sea level. Wow. Yeah, it's super, super tall when you're actually in a ship. So I guess it's hard to miss that. Exactly. And at that point, it makes the Seguin Lighthouse the tallest slash highest light above sea level in Maine. So even though the lighthouse itself isn't very tall, it's positioned the highest above sea level. Now, while it doesn't have the same shipwreck-filled history as Boone Island, Seguin Lighthouse does have some pretty cool features. Since it's located on the island's highest point, it can be difficult to carry supplies up. So in 1859, they built a tram system to haul supplies up a steep 1,000 feet from the boat dock to the lighthouse itself. Handy. Very handy. By the 1980s, the lighthouse was fully automated, and today it also uses solar power for its beacon and its fog warning system because it's also in an area that sees a lot of fog. And it's unmanned, so there's no keepers living there anymore. Okay. Many visitors to Seguin Island, because again, it's very close to the shore. It's near the mouth of the river. I think it said it was only about two miles from the coastline. So you can go out there and visit it. A lot of the people who have visited it have reported hearing the sound of piano music drifting from the empty lighthouse. And according to legend, this is a restless 19th century spirit. Ooh. Now, during the mid-19th century, the lighthouse keeper's wife found that her life on the island was very isolating and lonely, so much so that she ended up falling into a dark depression. In an attempt to raise her spirits, the lighthouse keeper arranged for a piano to be delivered to the island. Raise her spirits. Heyo! He hoped that by providing her with the piano, she'd be able to occupy herself by learning a new instrument and that the music that she would eventually play for them would help raise both of their spirits and keep them occupied over the long winter months there on the island. When the piano arrived, the lighthouse keeper's wife selected her favorite tune from the songbook and set about learning it. She devoted herself to practicing the song day and night at all hours that she could until she mastered it. That must have been annoying for everyone around her. Well, just turn the lighthouse keeper. Like when I was, uh, you know, trying to learn my flute in fifth grade. Oh, God. We were just talking about that, how, like, it's so cruel that every kid in America gets, like, a recording flute. Yeah. Between the ages of, like, first grade or, like, fifth grade. Yeah. Everybody, like, I don't know, listeners, if you've ever played a recording flute, but it's, uh, it gets very screechy very quickly if you blow too hard into it. Yeah. And I feel like it's, like, that sound you hear. I just associate it with elementary school kids. <laughs> painful painful i faked my way through flute what did you have to learn did you have to learn mary had a little lamb or hot cross buns hot cross buns i think we did mary had a little lamb (laughs) i know we did good king wenceslas wow that's a lot of finger Uh, work yeah i forget like what else i sounded horrible on my flute i could not play that thing but i faked it when we had concerts i would just kind of make the motions and not make any sound And then my parents were like, you did so well up there. Yeah, like, thanks. 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 All those hours I didn't practice paid off. Right, yeah. <laughs> so the lighthouse keeper's wife masters her favorite song. And since it's the only song that she learned, she just decided, you know what? That's cool. I'm just going to play it over and over and over again. Oh, God. What song is this? I don't know. I oh. couldn't find that out. But her husband's like, hey, you know, we could send for more sheet music from from the mainland yeah, and you could learn learn more. another song. Yeah, you could learn another song. It's song just as pretty as this one. And his wife was like, no, nah, that's OK. And when <laughs> goes back to playing the song again. <laughs> oh, God. So that poor husband. Yep. Obviously, this wears on the keeper's nerves as the months pass. It was probably a Taylor Swift song because I know I can't go two <laughs> seconds without hearing one of those. 
it, it was Mambo number five. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, the wife has been playing the song nonstop for months, and the lighthouse keeper. She was trapped on the island with his wife, oh, hearing the no. same song over and over and over again, just snaps, grabs an axe, and destroys the piano. Oh, my God. In his rage, he turns on his wife, too, and just hacks her to death with the axe. Oh, my God. Okay, well, maybe that's going a bit too far. I didn't mind the destroying the piano because, yeah, that would get really annoying. Same song day after day, month after month, year after year. But maybe don't kill your wife. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. So eventually he kind of comes to his senses, his rage fades because that damn song isn't playing anymore. He's and it's like, I cannot listen to We Built This City one more time. <laughs> I don't blame him. Starship sucked. It's like, if I have to listen to more than a feeling one more time. <laughs> Sorry. Um, eventually he's just horrified by what he's done and he takes his own life. Okay. It probably wasn't that he was horrified from killing his wife. It was probably just the song was stuck in his head, so he needed to do something about it. It's like the worst earworm ever. Yeah. It's stuck in my head. Now, visitors to the island to this day report hearing piano music when they visit. A few have even reported seeing the apparition of a man with an axe trudging towards the lighthouse. Now, while the piano playing wife ghost is the most common encounter on the island, there's also a ghost of a little girl who said to have died while living in the lighthouse. Visitors have spotted her, as have the families of former lighthouse keepers. This ghost is often seen laughing and playing near in the yard near the lighthouse. Island lore states that her grave is somewhere nearby the lighthouse keeper's house on the island, but no one's exactly sure where. Okay. But she seems to be a very friendly ghost. Wasn't your last story about an axe murder? Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, an axe was a very common weapon because everybody had you know had one it was great when i was looking up true crime stories too for maine because mm-hmm. then i was like oh this one sounds good this sounds familiar it sounds a lot like nicole's story she's <laughs> gonna be really excited if i do oh it's the same one it is that story oh there is another famous ghostly encounter that i found when i was researching stuff for Seguin island lay it on me all right so this happened in the 1980s and that was when the lighthouse was temporarily decommissioned so they could upgrade it to be fully automatic uh there was a guy who was tasked with clearing out the remaining furniture in the lighthouse since it took most of the day to pack everything up and load it onto the tram to take it down to the dock the guy decided hey i'm just gonna camp out here in the lighthouse overnight we'll load up the ship in the morning and then sail back to the mainland Late in the night, all of a sudden, he's violently shaken awake by a ghostly man dressed in oil skins. The ghost says, don't take the furniture. Please leave my home alone. And then disappears. Wait, the ghost says that? Yep, the ghost says that and just disappears. All right. And the guy's kind of like, whoa, I must, I was still dreaming. That's got to be a weird dream. I shouldn't have dropped that acid before I came in here, man. Well, it's like he was like, I don't know. I know the stories and the haunted stories about the lighthouse. Maybe it's just, you know, freaking me out and like psyching me out that this place is haunted and I just had a bad dream. So the next morning he wakes up, finishes loading the furniture onto the boat to the mainland. Once they get all the furniture loaded, they push off from the dock and all of a sudden the boat mysteriously sinks before it can clear the island. Oh. <laughs> so Eden. Yes. That's the story of the Boone Island and Seguin Island Lighthouse. Do you want to see some lighthouses? Yes, I do. 
And I kind of, I wanted more. I like that story and I wanted more. There, there are a lot of haunted lighthouses out of those 65 historic ones. I kind of had to be selective. So yeah. I picked the ones that had like the most interesting incidents that I thought. A lot of the other ones are, you know, your typical hauntings where it's like people died there tragically from illness or, you know, just there's an eerie feeling in them. Not yeah. all of them had like distinctive uh, things like creepy piano music. Yeah. Or a lady knocking on your door and then floating away. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so that that's my story. I liked it. It was fun. And I would definitely like to see more haunted lighthouses. They're very pretty. I will say that. There's supposed to be pretty. one. I forget where it is. It's like really, really crazy haunted. Mm. And I can't remember what state it's in or where it is, but there's like a really famous haunted lighthouse. We'll have to keep our eyes out for it. Cause I know there's some haunted ones in like the Carolinas and yeah. in California. So I think it, I know I've been to whatever state it's in, okay. but I just can't remember for the life of me where it is. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep our eyes out for it. Yeah. Keep, we'll keep a lookout for it. Watch it be like a two sentence long story. And that's <laughs> it. And then they all died and became ghosts. Yeah. So my sources for today's stories were lighthousefriends.com, a new a guide to haunted New England tales from Mount Washington to the Newport Cliffs by Thomas D'Agostino, newenglandboating.com, seacoastonline.com, newenglandlighthouse.net, weekendweird.com, and onlyinyourstate.com. There's a lot of uh, fans of lighthouses out there on the internet, just so you know. They are, because they all love Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the end of our first main episode, Roadsters. I think we had fun. I hope you had fun. If you have any feedback about what you heard today and you'd like to reach out to us, or if you have any suggestions, once we finish up Maine, we're going to head back down south, right? Uh, yeah, then we're uh, we're stopping in Ohio first, and then it's south. Oh, the Buckeye State. All right. If you have any suggestions or stories you want us to cover in the upcoming episodes, please reach out to us any way you can, either on our social media accounts, or you can email us directly at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Roadside Horror Show, Instagram at Roadside Horror Show, and sometimes Twitter at Roadside Horror. I'd like to thank Yox Rocks Design for our wonderful logo and E. Massey for our great intro and outro music. Did we say our website yet? No. No. Okay. You can find us online uh, at www. Well, you don't even need that anymore, do you? Um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Throwback. Um, That's understood. Yeah. We can, you go to roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. Yeah. You can find some links, some photos of our past episodes. Good, good stuff out there. Check it out. All right, gang. Until next time. Creep, creep on, creeping on. Creepin on. on.